Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Uh, I am your host, Doug. With me today, from all across the planet, we have Tiffany, Nancy, uh, Elliot, and we have a special guest with us today, Harrison. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. Nancy, we have Erica. (laughs) Did I say Nancy? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, Erica. (laughs) Okay. My hosting duties are getting off to a wonderful start here. We have (laughs) Uh, today on the Health and Wellness Show. We are going to be talking about role models. So, as a social species, human beings are highly influenced by the people in their immediate environment and the world at large. Role models, whether they be parents, teachers, neighbors, celebrities, or world leaders, provide us with an example of personal development and serve as motivators to help us reach our goals. Personal success depends on behaving in a certain way and not behaving in other ways. So on this episode of the Health and Wellness Show, we'll discuss the topic of role models, those who inspire us to great heights, as well as those who set bad examples. So maybe I'll I'll just say this. Um, As always, you can um, click on the red button to call in to the show if you uh, have any comments or questions. Um, or of course, there's always the chat interface, but maybe we could start people off by just saying in the chat, or if you want to call in, maybe you could give us an example of some of your role models, whether it be your current role models, or maybe when you were growing up, who served as your role models, maybe just to get some, uh, some banter going here and we can, we can, uh, read out some of the the responses, um, as they come in. And maybe I can open that question up to our my co-hosts here, Tiffany, Erica, Elliot, and Harrison. Who are your role models? Um. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> I, I will. I have. I guess people in my life who have taught me things, mm. whether they're bad things or good things. I don't know if I specifically have one, though there is one person I have in mind. Maybe we can talk about her a little later in the show. But um, I can't think of, like, during my childhood or anything. I mean, I like <laughs> people that I saw on TV, but yeah, there yeah. are them role models or anything. No. It's funny because over the course of the week, I've asked other people that question, too, because... I was just kind of like, you know, because I try and I, I'm in a similar position, you know, I can't really, nobody specifically comes to mind who I would necessarily consider a role model. But, you know, there's certain traits among different people who can be inspiring. You know, I, I maybe know somebody who seems to be really selfless and um, able to to kind of make supreme sacrifices. Or I know somebody who is a very hard worker or something like that. And, and those traits like always tend to stand out. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, everybody's fallible in some way, I guess. So I, I don't know that there's anybody who I'm kind of like, I want to be like that person. Like, exactly. Faults and all. Yeah, it's like I have a picture in my mind of how I would like to be, like, my ultimate self, to use air quotes. But mm. I can't think of anybody 
that really pushed me to be that. I just want to be the best person that I can be. And I get little, uh, little bits of inspiration from various different people. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was thinking about this, this question, um, ever since we decided to do the show. And again, like, uh, I found it really difficult to try and pinpoint someone who, who I would, uh, class as a role model per se. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've, I've tried to look back throughout my childhood and stuff. And what I saw as a role model uh, at any particular age, it kind of changed as I matured, as I mm. sort of experienced life, and the the qualities um, that I would that I would see as as role model worthy sort of changed with that as well. Um, mm. And I found that as I've sort of grown a little bit older. Um, now what I would like to perceive as a role model is something very different to what I thought was a, a role model when I was, when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. And to, to, to put that in like a real life perspective, I don't know if there's anyone, as I said, who, who, I, who I would really like to be. Um, I can think of a couple of movies where, <laughs> where there are <laughs> characters which do embody certain character traits um, and they, they seem to have the ability to persevere through difficult times and to to come out the other end clear-headed and Mm. um like one example i guess is frodo from lord of the rings Mm. (laughs) um no it sounds silly but i mean if you watch those movies that you know the the struggles and the the lessons that he sort of went through i guess it's similar to to neo out of the matrix um Mm. and and there are you know it's these 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 characters do sort of seem to reflect something that you know we can we can learn from these experiences we can learn from what they go through and mm. i guess um yeah <laughs> that's that's just what i wanted to say well mm. for like i i think we have to take it in different kind of time periods too because when you're a when you're a young child um i think that's different from when you're a, either young adult or like a mature person because mm. when you're a little kid um, like I, well, first of all, if we just look at the word like role model, so it's it's a a person that you model like yourself on, or that provides a model for s- certain roles, and certain roles will be certain behaviors, ways of acting in certain situations. So you know, as a kid, of course, unconsciously, naturally, the people that we're around become our role models when we can't even think in terms like that because they are modeling behavior for us. So whoever we mm-hmm. learn from at the you know in our earliest years. Um, model those behaviors for us now the the first so of course i mean parents would parents and siblings would automatically go in that you know formative developmental period but then um like i remember when i was a a young kid with friends you know going over to play play at their houses i remember um you know i had one friend that i kind of took to be a role model of course i didn't think about it in that in those terms but um because there were certain certain qualities that I could see in him that I could realize at that time that I didn't have. And so I would, um, you know, but just by interacting and playing with him, I could try to embody those roles. Like he was more of like a sports guy. And, um, you know, one thing about, being, about sports, especially like being in a goalie position, for example, you have to be somewhat fearless in order to get in front of the puck or the ball, you know, to block it with your own body. And that was, you know, that was scary for me. I'd always, you know, 
try to get out of the way. And so, you know, he had a, a particular way of, of kind of trying to teach me how to, how to do it. Um, looking back, it wasn't the best way because, um, well, he was in a, uh, like, well, both of our families were Catholic. And so he kind of uh, probably, you know, unconsciously was uh, trying to attempt to give me some Catholic uh um, indoctrination. Of course, he wasn't re- realizing it. So I'm guessing he might have heard, he might have heard this from his maybe his dad or his parents. So he told mm. me, "Well, you just got to think like this. You just got to think that if you if you don't get in front of the ball, then you're going to go to hell. <laughs> and, that, and that way, and that way, you'll want to get in front of the ball. And of course, I couldn't I couldn't do that because you know it didn't really mean anything to me. But but, uh, but so you know just just seeing the way he acted, that that was kind of a, a little bit of a role model. And then. Uh, of course, probably the biggest role models when I was around that age were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, <laughs> just because those are the people I wanted to be, right? Or things. Right. Turtles. <laughs> turtles. But and I, I see that in like my young nephews, for example, who are just obsessed with uh, superheroes. So you know, one mm-hmm. of them's obsessed with Spider-Man and Batman, and dresses up like them. You know, any chance that he gets. So he wants to like he embody and pretty much become those people at that you know at, at that young age. And, you know, I was the same way. I'd dress up as Robin Hood and Ninja Turtles and Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. Um, so there's this kind of like, um, you know, ki- especially kids um, identify with that kind of hero, superhero um, archetype. And mm-hmm. even in even in adults, I mean, still, you know, that's you, you mentioned um, films and certain characters in films. Well, that's really just a, a grown up version well, for them, sometimes grown-up <laughs> version of you know superheroes. It's just they they acquire kind of a more realistic, um, somewhat um, realistic um, you know appearance in in so-called adult films. But uh, well, no, not not adult films. <laughs> grown-up <laughs> grown-up films. Um, so, but but then. Uh, but still, you know, a lot of adults go to, you know, just superhero movies and they're super popular among um, adults or, you know, people who are of a certain age. So there's there's something to that. But um, when you look at just, let's say, um, like literature or, you know, serious drama, <clears throat> like drama films and stuff like that without any, no one has like superpowers, nothing does anything kind of otherworldly but they're just you know living their lives i think there's kind of two well i can just break down films into two types there are those that you know have um a kind of hero and those that don't and the Mm -hmm. ones that don't are the ones that kind of go after this kind of super realism where everything is where the artist attempts to portray life in its you know totally realistically and when you're looking at uh a life that doesn't have any kind of um kind of goal or purpose or direction to it, then obviously you're not going to have any heroes. You're just going to have people suffering and, and not really, um, you know, getting anywhere. And then you're going to have the, the superheroes that are kind of um, totally unrealistic, but that still seem to be giving people something that they don't have. Um, well, they're obviously going to see these movies for a reason. And maybe it is that they, you know, they're, they're lacking something in their lives and this, this kind of fulfills something for them. And that was what the the role usually played in the past, I think, by you know stories and myths. So um, I mean, the, the the superheroes of old times were god <clears throat> gods and heroes. So um, yeah, like like Odysseus in the in the Odyssey. So I mean, 
I think one thing about role models is that when you look at it, this a, a kind of either a real person or a, a fictional uh, or mythical person, it's someone that you look at and you imagine. Well, if I was in their situation, I would want to be able to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Or if they if they were in my situation, they would do something, um, you know, that I'm not able to do at this at this time. And so it's a way of kind of comparing yourself to a, a higher standard. The, and that you're aware that you don't live up to that standard, but by now becoming aware that that standard, like, you know, you, you see it modeled, you see an example, and you realize, okay, well, now I know that that's possible. Um, and mm. then that's that acts as a way of getting you to to kind of this higher level in, in yourself that you may not even have realized existed before. And I think that's the that's the way that we actually come to to realize that it exists or that it's a possibility is by seeing it modeled in the world because without any kind of example or role model, the, all that we'd have is maybe some vague feeling that, you know, we're not living up to our potential, that that something else is possible, but we'd have no idea what it was. And it would be really hard to find out what it was if we had absolutely nothing, uh, no example to go on. So I think that therefore, you know, role models play an extremely important role in in human development because um, it's kind of like you you know you can't you can't find a treasure if you don't know that it exists and you don't have a map towards it, right? Otherwise, you'll just you're just engaged in a random search, which is you know it's like um, you know trying to find a um, a marked particle in the universe and out of the billions of particles out there, you know, what are the chances that you're just going to randomly find the one that you're looking for? It's a it's a lot harder if you don't have um, a map. So I think that role models are really um, the map to to discovering like or to manifesting in yourself, like Tiff was saying, that kind of um, ideal that you that you can imagine for uh, for yourself in the future. I wonder though, like how much of this is actually. You know, because what you're describing, Harrison, sounds like a very conscious process, right? Like you're looking at a behavior and you're thinking to yourself, I want to model that behavior. You know, I want to be able to do what that person is doing. But I wonder actually how much of this this role model stuff actually happens on a, a more subconscious level where you're not necessarily aware that you are kind of modeling your behavior, behavior after um, things that you've seen or heard or mm-hmm. experienced in some way. I mean, there's this idea of um, vicarious reinforcement. So the idea that you see a behavior get rewarded and you kind of like automatically process that and, and take it on and real and and may model that behavior on a, on a totally subconscious level that, you, you know, you're not you're not saying, oh, that person did that did that and they got praise for it. Therefore, I'm going to do that as well. It's something much more um on the subconscious level where where you're not necessarily consciously deciding to model a behavior, but just, um, you know, I think about this in terms of like, you know, you can especially see it in adolescence, you know, where one, um, one adolescent maybe, uh, has, is pretty witty and, and can, uh, uh, kind of crack jokes pretty easily. And then before long, it's like, everybody's trying to do that. And they don't necessarily have the same ability, but the, but they're like, oh well, this guy this guy's getting laughs and getting praise because he's he's cracking jokes, and I'm going to do the same thing. And you know, a lot of times that'll fall flat. So I'm just thinking that, like, you know, the, the person maybe didn't didn't consciously decide I'm going to do exactly what that person did. Yeah. So in that way, role models, I think, or or more so, maybe anti role models, um, can maybe have a more insidious effect on people. 
that maybe yeah. people end up modeling behavior that maybe wouldn't be the best for them to model. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I totally agree. Um, I guess like for all the things I was saying, I was um, kind of doing two things at the same time and not really realizing I was doing them because on the one hand, um, I was trying, I was kind of trying to get that point across when describing kids. Cause yeah, it's a totally unconscious process in kids. And I think that um, ideally it would be a conscious process, but I think you're exactly right that for the most part it isn't. So it's not like a conscious modeling that go- goes on. So when I was kind of giving the inner monologue, um, that's kind of like what I what I imagine the unconscious kind of process to be to be going mm. to, to to be doing. So when you see someone like in a when a kid or or an adult, you know, or you know, an adolescent around their their peers sees another kind of behavior, that gets modeled. Like there's some part of them that sees that as being. Um, um, does like the desires that for some reason or sees it as being mm-hmm. a good thing and so then tries to imitate it and it's a, for the most part it's a completely unconscious process and and that brings out exactly why um, why first of all why it's so important because it's unconscious and therefore if the role models are modeling bad behavior and it's mm-hmm. and they're at like the top of the kind of social hierarchy for whatever reason um then naturally the people, you know, their, their group of friends, their social peers are going to um, idolize them and, you know, see them as a role model just, just naturally from just the way that human, uh, you know, society and interactions function. And so mm-hmm. if you've got a, an anti-role model in that position, then, then uh, especially among young people, among teenagers and, well, young people and especially people who, um, um, let's say, are in... A bad situation for whatever reason, whether socioeconomic or you know in their family situation, they're they're going to lack the kind of discernment to be able to to um, to actually go through this con- this process consciously. Um, but I mm-hmm. think that so we've got two at least kind of two situations here. One is the 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 unconscious modeling of of behavior, and then the other is to get to a point where it does become conscious because because um, I think that's when that that's just a um a component of discernment where um and, and like true maturity where you can look at another person's behavior and say okay no that's you know that's a bad that's a bad behavior you know i'm not i'm not going to want to yeah. model that in fact i don't i don't like that at all i'm going to make an effort not to be like that and then to see something else and say wow you know that i you know i wish i was more like that and mm. like that's i think that's where um people who actually want to become better people should get to go um, but then, you know, we also have to consider the, the, the other side of this equation that you, that you mentioned that people are modeling behaviors totally unconsciously and, you know, what are the social and personal consequences of that going on in the world? Well, speaking of lack of discernment and modeling behavior unconsciously, I remember when I was a kid, my mother had this friend and I would just loved her to death. I just wanted to be like her basically because she was pretty and I liked her hair. <laughs> but it turns out that she was like uh, just this drunk, loudmouth woman. <laughs> and so it just shows that, you know, when you're younger, there's a lot of role models around you, whether they're positive or negative. But as I got older, I still had uh, quite a few negative role models around me. And I would like look at these people and say, oh, that is not a good way to act. I don't want to act like that. And mm. I tried my best not to, but of course, you know, 
you do make your own mistakes as you're growing up and becoming mature. But yeah, I just wanted mm. to add that as far as lack of discernment in choosing your role models. But there's a lot to be said for having negative role models around you anyway, because I learned a heck of a lot from people that were around me who did bad things. And it just cemented my desire. Like I definitely knew I did not want to become the kind of person that they were, but I was, Mm. I didn't really have any examples of the kind of person that I did want to become, but at least it kept me from going down a lot of dark paths and making a lot of bad decisions at certain points in my life. I wonder if that was because you were able to see the consequences Mm-hmm. of those negative traits because i think <clears throat> one one of the things i mean we've brought up um a lot about movies and media and that sort of thing and i think that um a big part of this is kind of um what we see in the media um celebrities and you know what behavior they model and what they kind of get rewarded for by being you know more and more popular because they're doing kind of more and more outlandish things or caught up in scandals or something like that and I think that, that one of the dangers of this, especially if, if, you know, as we were saying about, you know, kind of taking these things on in a more subconscious way, necessarily see the consequences for these kinds of behaviors. Um, in fact, what you tend to see is that being sodium kind of or something, and suddenly they're, you know, their Twitter following goes through the roof and they've got more Instagram followers. And all you really see is the benefits that they're getting from, from this scandal. Um, whereas, you know, you're, you're not really seeing, you know, if you have somebody kind of who you interact with in person and you see that they have bad traits and you can see that there are consequences for those bad traits, maybe it's much more likely that you could use that as a means of kind of a negative role model and actually see that, oh, wait a second, there's consequences for that action. I have to, I have to not do that, whether that be on a subconscious level or conscious. Well, I agree with Tiffany too discussing before the show about role models and you know we haven't had a lot of discussion about what what taught us what not to do and so Mm. for the time before social media and even movies and things like that and being a young child and you're taught that you know this this is how you want to behave and then you see you know the actions not matching the words it can be very confusing Mm And I, I, for me, when I was a child, that was the situation I was in. And then I had a school therapist or child psychologist kind of lady that would spend time with me and give me um, advice on how to navigate, essentially. And what was really interesting to me was she was fired from the school. And, and it really sent me into this confusion about, well, this person actually cares and is invested in these kids and wants to help them and yet she's persecuted and is not allowed to work with children anymore so it was uh Mm. you know and to this day we're still in communication we write each other and and i feel like for me she was a role model in the sense where she taught me how to navigate life as a young child without having positive role models Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm. Well, I well, do. I did find uh, some qualities, some positive qualities of role models and uh, their characteristics. So, uh, some of the things that characterize a, a positive role model is that they have high moral values and they practice what they preach. 
they're ethical and they're honest. Uh, they're they're also confident and they believe in themselves and they take the time and the effort to reach their goals. They persevere and they don't give up whatever it is they want to reach. They keep going for it. Um, at the same time, they also respect other people and don't give other people junk for not being like them. They're secure in themselves, so they don't feel the need to criticize or go after other people. Uh, they're optimistic and they're creative. They work hard to find solutions. And one of the, the biggest things about positive role models, because if you keep all your goodies to yourself, how is somebody going to consider you a role <laughs> model? They share with other people. They give mm. selflessly. They're other focused rather than self focused, and they expend a lot of their energy to benefit other people. Do we actually know anybody like that? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> well, I, well, I think that there's there's one aspect that we haven't touched on yet, and that is okay. So we've been talking about role models as if they're just these like other people right mm -hmm. well i think that there's a once you become aware of the the concept it's kind of a, a responsibility it's almost like a yeah well it's a it's kind of the the ultimate responsibility to then become a role model um, mm. because if there's if you're expecting just other people to be role models then you know you're just, just going to be waiting for a free lunch part of the part of the way it works is that you've actually got to do it that's where the responsibility lies so mm. I think that that becomes then um, it's kind of the the like the end result of the whole process is that if you've got a role model, well, then it's time to, to step up and actually become a role model. And that means actually putting all these things into practice that you that you see other people doing mm. so that you can then be a model for other people. And that means having integrity and embodying, you know, these traits and um, behaviors and choices in your own life. That will that you can that can then be modeled by um, younger people or older you know or just you know people that you interact with people that that can see you doing these things, mm -hmm. and that's um that's kind of well that's where it all leads I think. Mm -hmm. And it's not like these people are saying, "Hey, look at me! I'm a role model. Follow what I do." It's just that they their whole being just um can't think of the word it their being just reflects all of their positive qualities mm -hmm. and you can't help but pay attention to what they do mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. like they're purposely drawing attention to themselves it's just mm -hmm. part of what they do <laughs> you can't help but look mm -hmm. except i think that in a um in the right situation that will naturally lead to a self-awareness of being in a mm -hmm. in a in a role of influence, and then acting in a in in the accord you know in a in an according way, um, so that it it's it almost becomes a well a fusion of the two. It's just a natural expression of who who you are, but with an awareness that you are in that situation and are playing that role, and that kind of adds to the the sense of personal responsibility. As a person who kind of, um, it's kind of hard to imagine a person with all these qualities who, who doesn't consider the fact that they have an influence on other people, mm -hmm. and then that mm -hmm. that's kind of just another form of of narcissism or just um, you know living in a in a in a bubble. If you're not aware of the 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 people around you and the influence that you have on them, and uh, and the fact that that uh, you have a responsibility towards them, then uh, 
that's kind of a. It kind of makes me think of Putin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems to embody a lot of the qualities that that Tiff was lifting off, lifting off there, and obviously, you know, he's in a position where he must know that he is kind of um, a, a role model to a certain extent, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just maybe, maybe think of him. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because. Our... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's interesting to to it's interesting that he's in that position because um, uh, I've been listening. Well, for the last several months, I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and the things that he says. Uh. And of course, he's he's got all his stock phrases and and comments. So he's always talking about dominance hierarchies, which has become something of a joke on YouTube and Twitter. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, the way he describes it, it's like, well, that's that's kind of just the way that. Um, you know, because of our evolutionary history and uh, and just the way human societies structure themselves, it is kind of based on this this dominance hierarchy structure. And that's even he'll he'll admit that's kind of a bad way of of terming it because uh, it's not strictly like it gives an impression of you know dominance. You've got a, a bunch of apes that battle it out, and one one gets to the top. But that's it's more complex and uh, um, nuanced than that. But um, in human society, there are um, hierarchies. There is a um, a social hierarchy. So, you know, people with, with, well, I'd say maybe in an ideal situation, a person with um, intelligence and integrity and uh, a sense of fairness and justice will acquire more uh, a more a position of greater responsibility and authority. Um, at least that's the way it should operate, and it's the way things do operate if you know if a society is healthy. And so, in a in a in a society and a culture, you know, as big as the Russian one, the 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 president has the most um, the most power. Um, he's at kind of he's pretty much at the top of the the social you know uh, the social structure, the dominance hierarchy. And mm-hmm. when you're in that position, um, you've got the you've got the most influence, and that that directly translate in, translates into a role of being being a role model. And, um, and so, well, there's a whole bunch of di- different directions that we can go with that, but maybe I'll just leave it there. Cause I don't know what direction I want to go with. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you brought up Jordan Peterson actually, cause one of the, one of the people in the chat actually mentioned him as a, as a role model. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, he is a, a guy who, who has very strong principles and stands up for them regardless of what the consequences are. He seems to be supremely willing to kind of sacrifice a normal life and uh, open himself to all sorts of attacks um, based on the, the strength of his principles. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, in, in a way, I, th- I think that's very, like that behavior is definitely something that I would love to model in myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would ad- agree with, with our chatter on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, well, one thing I wanted to talk about on the show today was um, it, it relates to some of the things we've already talked about. Um, the, the role model as kind of this either fictional or um, you know a mythological character that or hero archetype, right? And of course, Jordan Peterson is a um, pretty much a Jungian psychologist, so he's big into archetypes and mythology mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Now, one of the things that he that he talks about and that he's been trying to do um, 
in a lot of his talks and you know interviews and things like that is um, he might call it uh, what is what does he say rescuing rescuing your father from the underworld <laughs> and that's oh, to, yeah. take, to take the uh, you know the, the cultural traditions and to kind of reinvigorate them and make them um, relevant again and um, you know growing up Christian that's the the kind of um, cultural history that he he identifies with and you, uh, you um, like you some interviews have asked him oh well do you consider yourself Christian he says well kind of uh, yeah, but 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 you might not, you know. He's got a very kind of idiosyncratic Christian um, identity, I'd say, and mm-hmm. um, because he, the way the way he describes Christianity and like the the Christian myth is as uh, as if Jesus Christ is kind of the the uh, the ultimate like meta hero, the the ultimate archetype, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that that is true, but that has kind of been lost. Because, uh, well, lost in general culture and in kind of mainstream uh, Christian belief and practice. Because I know that for years, you know, when I just, when I picture like Jesus Christ, it just kind of like, it it, it just feels kind of like, like, what's with that, right? Um, And there's nothing kind of, it doesn't have, it didn't have, it never really had a power, um, you know, or or like, what, what would the word be? Like, it didn't inspire me at all. Because I've just got, you know, there's just this image of Jesus and you hear, well, I mean, you just automatically associate that with the people that that say it. And that might be like, you know, television evangelists, right? And Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And it's just like, <laughs> hey, well, what's the actual content there? Well, if you, mm-hmm. actually, if you actually go back and and read like some of the like early Christian books, like the letters of Paul or even the like uh, Gospel of John, um, there's a lot in there, like on the kind of philosophical, metaphysical level that uh that you don't get and we'll just maybe i'll just ask and like do a little experiment so so when when you when i ask you um like any of these co-hosts here or any callers like what what comes to mind when you think of like the the person or the character of jesus like what comes to mind well like you i was never super inspired by jesus because it had all of these negative associations with the goofy goings on that happened in church but I picture Jesus, I see some wounded savior nailed to a cross. And what the hell is so inspiring <laughs> about that? I mean, that's gruesome and it's ugly. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And also just because so many of the things that, that are kind of surrounding Jesus it, are, are so kind of esoteric and don't really make a lot of sense and you kind of have to try and deconstruct them and stuff. It just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think about like the idea that he died for your sins and that's not, that's something that's kind of never resonated with me at all. No, <laughs> excuse me. No, like I, I don't understand it to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Like it doesn't make sense to me. So, I mean, I, I don't really necessarily, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's kind of the Supreme sacrifice or something like that, but it just, it never really made sense to me. So, yeah, I think I think all the things that uh, you know, if you really boil it down, I think people are just sort of impressed with a guy who could walk on water and turn water into wine. Like yeah. it, it didn't. It did, there's there's nothing really there that's that's all that inspiring for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Jesus is uh, a white guy with really long hair and a really long beard, mm-hmm. and um, a guy who, well. <sighs> The, the the phrase that he is my Lord Savior and uh, again like like Doug said 
you know, he, he, he sacrificed himself, uh, for my sins. Um, and all of the, all, all of, all of the things that surround that, um, the people that I've met who, who have tried to preach this to me, uh, my, my family members who are fundamental Christians, um, and all of the negative experiences associated with that whole thing, it's always just really put me off, um, uh, giving it any more credit than than I thought it was due, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I had the same kind of experience as Elliot. Like I remember, do unto others is done unto you, and be kind to people. And then the people in the church were not modeling that behavior, mm-hmm. so it was mm-hmm. causing this inner questioning. This person's up in the sky, but nobody's really acting that way. So mm-hmm. I'm confused. Yeah. So so for me. Um, pretty much all, all of the above. And also like when I see, when I see, uh, like, you know, the name of Jesus invoked in, in a public environment, like on TV or by, you know, us senators or congressmen, it's very anemic. I think it's, it lacks, it, it lacks any punch mm-hmm. and or it's substance or substance. And it's all just, okay, well, you know, what would, what would Jesus our Lord do? Or, or, or <laughs> it's just, it's very vague too. Now, but now, now imagine it this way. It's like, um, imagine the, imagine like the ultimate role model, the, the most like talented, intelligent, like loving person imaginable, who's like the least, the least deserving of, uh, an ignoble death. Um, and this person is then, uh, tortured and, and murdered for, uh, you know, for no good reason. And he takes that suffering on consciously uh and willingly and then is is reborn something greater as a result now like to hear for example like jordan peterson speak of the christ myth he'd be he kind of focuses on this suffering the conscious taking on of suffering um, because the world is suffering and what can you what can you do when you you know with that realization uh you can just either wallow in your suffering or you can take on you can take it on and make something of it and make something of yourself um from it and one of the the for me remarkable things about kind of early christianity is this kind of um stoic element to it uh, from the greek and roman stoic philosophy and that is that um it kind of ties into everything that we've been saying. Um, Tiff mentioned um, in that list of qualities of role models the this kind of selflessness, selflessness uh, or you know other directedness um, as opposed to being self-directed or selfish. And what really the the, the earliest kind of um, Christian belief, like in the letters of Paul, was that that's what. The, like the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was it when because that was the basically the model um, to then be embodied by the community by the people that uh, kind of professed this kind of um, uh, belief or you know lived in this community which would be to to then model that in every behavior in their lives and that would be to to have that all those all those qualities that are not um, ideal that that um, that you see in yourself that uh, that um, you know either either disturb you or that you'd wish to change and to actually have that that part of yourself be killed and then to in essence like 
internally be reborn as as someone as a new person who then acts in a way that is uh that is good that you would um you know that you'd want your children to behave in or that you'd want the you know the whole world to behave in and to actually um to actually do that and kind of take on that responsibility so it's it's very much um a matter of um it kind of it really it takes away the um just all the kind of fluff or the things that doesn't really mean anything and really makes it it really makes it practical to to actually live in this world and and then um basically do do things not for yourself but for others and to keep that hmm. in the forefront of your mind and it doesn't really like everything else is kind of secondary so all those kind of images of of Jesus that automatically come to mind like the you know the the white guy with the long hair and, and the sandals or um you know just going around talking to a bunch of uh um you know people living in Judea and Galilee I mean that's all just kind of uh window dressing because mm-hmm. it really it really doesn't get to the to the the bottom of what it actually means for um you know on an internal level that you can actually apply to to your everyday life I don't know <laughs> Well it's really interesting because Kind of, kind of going along with that, um, maybe in a slightly abstract way, but it, it, it makes me think about the idea of conscience. And you know, we, we have this idea of role models, and these are people who you kind of model your behavior on. Um, but then there's also this kind of more esoteric idea of conscience, and the idea that one can kind of get in touch with their own conscience, and from there, um, kind of be able to to act in a way because i think in in a certain sense we we aren't in a state to really be able to act in service to others um and not act from some sort of self-serving interest mm-hmm. so it 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 just makes me think of maybe it was just a kind of a fleeting thought um but the idea that um if one can kind of connect to this this conscience um and act from there then it is sort of more possible to to kind of act from um, a service to others type perspective rather than acting from all these other little parts of us that, uh, that are only self-interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a big part of that is the need for, um, well, I guess maybe not the need, but, um, the help that, that comes from uh, like a community that is, that has the same goals because mm. it comes back to kind of a similar problem that I that I mentioned at the top of the show, which was you know not having a uh, a model to to base your well to model on, you know not having not mm-hmm. having that um, that picture in your mind for what you're actually moving towards. Because mm-hmm. if so, if you know if you just imagine one man in the wilderness or one woman um, trying to you know reach their own conscience well it's 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 really hard to to find that on your own without any help without any guidance and that's mm-hmm. why that, that that's the, the the role that uh, i mean we're like like we said we're social we're social creatures that's why it's so important to uh, and so helpful um it kind of moves the process along i think more much more um efficiently to have that because then you've got people around you that can kind of point out when you're not living up to that ideal and to say, oh, well, you know, do you realize what you're actually doing right now? And the person more often than not will say no. <laughs> they say, well, this, <laughs> this is what you're doing right now. Like, take a look at yourself and, you know, match that up to what you you profess your ideal to be. And then it's mm-hmm. like, 
it's like, wow, okay, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's painful. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, but it's, it's, it's necessary, um, to have that kind of feedback because Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, even if you've got a conscience, I mean, a lot of people have a conscience, um, you know, the, well, at least the, you know, the, the seed of one, they'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll feel, uh, you know, a sense of injustice at certain, at certain things in the world. They'll see, oh, that's right. That's wrong. But when it comes to actually, um, seeing themselves that, um, yeah, it's a lot harder without that kind of external, um, you know, someone else pointing it out to you and kind of making it explicit so that you can see it in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we're lacking a lot of that uh, external. We're lacking a lot of community. I mean, in this world where it's all social media and reality TV and celebrities, and you only see someone's persona, but you don't really know who they are in real life, and you find out that they did something foul, and you're like, uh, wh- why Why did I look up to this person? Like, we're lacking these days, with the exception of Putin and maybe some others, we're really lacking some role models. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Mm-hmm. I blame yeah, I think that's very true. I blame it on the postmodern neo-Marxists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, I'm kind of half-joking there. But I recently read a little a little book by uh, the anthropologist Ernest Gellner called uh, Postmodernism, Reason, and, Re- and Religion. Um, it's a short little book, but it's kind of dense, but I'd recommend it um, if anyone wants to just get into, um, you know, a little bit of postmodernism because it's it's hilarious, actually. Um, the, his argument is basically that there's three kind of, um, three options in the modern world um, for how to kind of, see the world and live in it and those are uh, postmodernism um, relig- religious fundamentalism and then what he calls uh, something like enlightenment rational enlightenment fundamentalism <laughs> and bas- basically that's so if you've got okay um, religious fundamentalism the example that he uses is um, fundamentalist fundamentalist Islam but it can apply you know to any religion um, especially, you know, Islam, Christianity, and and Judaism, the kind of fundamentalist interpretation that the you know th- these books have the the supreme ultimate doctrines in them, and we only have to go back to these original books that were written, you know, uh, you know anywhere from fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred years ago, and that's all we need, and we just have to you know live exactly as those books tell us to live, and uh, with a completely literal interpretation, and there's nothing that can be added to them. Um, that's the religious fundamentalist option, and the the other is the um, is the kind of postmodern postmodernist one, which is kind of exclusively um, comes from this um, affluent, rich um, Western academic history, w- which is kind of funny um, because these are the people that say that all cultures are equal, and you know there's no no system or no no truth claim that can be made that's that's better than any other and basically so the postmodernists would say that the um when it comes down to it even if they don't say it explicitly um it's it's embedded in like postmodernist doctrine that the fundamentalist um muslims or or jews or christians are just as as correct 
because uh, just as correct as anyone else because there is no truth essentially it's just all it's all just culturally um, socially created meanings and therefore we should just look at them and just try to you know try to um, accept that they're they're all right <laughs> even though they're all wrong it's a it's a it's a really it's a really dumb philosophy but um but then the other one is this is this just kind of rational enlightenment which is that there's a that there is truth and that it is um and that it, it's independent of any culture they have that in common with the postmodernists that they're that um you know every culture is wrong to a certain degree but that there is an ideal of truth that can be approached no culture has that truth but every uh, but it transcends every culture so the truth can be um accepted and um and recognized and shared between you know members of any culture it doesn't have any you know um it's not like a uh, it's not exclusive in any way and that's mm-hmm. i mean that's just in, in our world in our western world at least and you know among people um you know a select you know uh, percentage of the population anywhere in the world that just seems like common sense now um yeah. that but to a lot of people it isn't and um so part of the part of the reason that I think that uh, that we're at the the place we are today is that um, well none of the, none of those options are very good for what we're talking about because for the postmodernists they they wouldn't recognize any kind of ideal because no one thing is better than any other thing so it's pretty much the status quo is is perfectly fine in any given situation so there's nothing to move towards there's nothing nothing to work to, to move away from. It's just everything is taken at face value. And uh, then, of course, there's the religious fundamentalist view, which is uh, just crazy because, um, you know, you, we see where that leads. Um, you can see it in the, you know, in the, in the settlements in Israel and the, the, the crazy colonists there. You can see it in ISIS and you can see it in the, you know, in crazy Christian fundamentalists who, um, you know, are just insane. Um, you can see in that kind of insanity in any kind of in any kind of religious um, uh, community. Not that not that not that the entire communities are crazy, but you can see um, kind of the craziest versions that come out of that. And then, but even um, you know, so the the Enlightenment thought um, that doesn't really offer anything because that pretty much limits knowledge strictly to the scientific and technical fields. So no one has yet come up with uh, an objective scientific. Uh, morality or um, you know religious structure religious you know community that is that can then be a model for any other that can be that kind of transcends its its local um, you know cultural um, you know context so that has left um, we'll I'll, we'll just focus on Western civilization you know that has left kind of a um, uh, like a desert of of you know, finding these kinds of values or role models, because on the one hand, you've got um, a, a kind of secular culture that has, to a large extent, d- dismissed um, any kind of religious um, doctrine or, and therefore values. So it's kind of like the baby gets thrown out with the, ba- with the bath water. You've got the religious fundamentalists who are, you know, hearkening back to to pretty much medieval or middle, you know, Middle Ages or even Stone Age beliefs and practices and then you've got um the postmodernists who pretty much say anything goes and so we've got like a combination of the, of all of those going on in in the west no matter what 
kind of whichever group that you look at, to the point where, it, like, if you look at celebrity culture or even just mass, you know, general culture, it seems that there's just nothing there to hang on to. You have all of these um, crazy celebrities who are just completely vacuous and, uh, um, you know, there's nothing nothing to them. I mean, they're all, when you look at them, it's just, it's hard not to say they're just soulless, you know, non-entities. Um, and so, and these are, these are the role models. These are the people that people are looking up to. Like I'm talking about the, the obvious ones like Kim Kardashian and, and what's her name? Well, the Kardashians and, uh, and whoever else is, is pop. I mean like, you know, supermodels that are just just famous for being supermodels, and you and you you hear them talk, and they're just you know really yeah, they're dumb. just products. They're not real people. Mm-hmm. When you're looking mm-hmm. at them, you're looking at a persona, not a person. Mm-hmm. Well, and and even less than that, you're just looking at a really uh, like kind of reprehensible human. Like, mm-hmm. and you look at the, the reality TV shows <laughs> that they're you know they're on use, and the focus on these people's personal lives, and you look at the content of their personal lives, and how just kind of. Um, can't even think of the word to describe them. Just uh, chaotic, chaotic, um, empty, empty. Yeah, like <laughs> there's, it's like, and these are the these are the people that that you know millions of of young people are focusing their attention on and taking this in. And it's like you know whatever you you look at, whatever you you know get, direct your attention towards, um, you know without any without any discernment, that kind of that becomes the model that you. That you then base yourself on to a to a large to a large largely to a subconscious you know unconscious degree. So you've got these people just modeling um, kind of this loose amoral um, um, you know lifestyle, and that we we just had an article up on SOT, I think that that something like eighty one percent of Americans are. Uh, you know, disturbed by the the lack of of uh, you know moral behavior, or you know, aren't don't think that the that the I can't remember how it was it was expressed the actual uh, statistic, but um, it's just you you look at like the party culture, you look at people on the streets drinking and you know taking their shirts off, and it's just like <laughs> it's just like you got a bunch of you know apes and you know gave them some drugs and just said, okay, you know, go at it. And that's kind of what what a large segment of of modern culture is. There's just nothing to it, and uh, and when you, when that's all you have as an example, I mean that's probably what you're going to end up doing. And then young adults look at that and know all the details and specifics of their lives, and they're completely uninformed about anything that has any deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. And success is measured in monetary values. And how you look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like the um, articles that were up a little while ago about millennials that um, <clears throat> basically they they kind of will, I mean, I shouldn't generalize to the entire generation, but there's a good segment that will kind of, you have all the, the, the trappings of a successful and uh, trendy lifestyle, like they'll have the right cell phone and the right clothes and all that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, they're just absolutely drowning in debt. And it just kind of goes to show what what's actually valued there. It's it's the appearance. There's there's nothing more than that. As long as you you know have enough Instagram followers and you're showing yourself having this fabulous lifestyle, it's kind of like that. That's the goal. It's not um, you know the hard work necessary to kind of get you there or you know 
ideally not get you there, of course. But but uh, yeah, it just it's just a very vacuous. It breeds this very vacuous culture of um, of all appearances. I um I actually know uh, a woman who she went to university and she studied for three years or something to become a nurse, and so she's drowning in debt. The typical scenario that you just explained, Doug. But she's just decided to take out a rental agreement on a Mercedes Benz. Um, it's one of the new ones, so she pays. <laughs> I think it's she pays like half of her wage, half of her month, monthly wage, on paying off this this Mercedes this this car. Um, and you know she's she's not well off. She's uh, you know fairly. Well, she's she's in debt basically, but but it just shows the values that that she sort of has, um, and the, the the things that she finds important in her life. Um, and it's I know a couple of other people, you know, they'll 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 barely be able to put food on the table, but then they'll spend a hundred pounds on a pair of trainers, and then they'll hmm. take a picture and show it to their friends, and that is what they find important. And it, it it's almost like. Um, the way that society has has gone downhill is to such an extent that that the the importance is placed on the image. Uh, everything is is superficial. There's no there's no real depth. And as a as a younger person, I, I I feel like when I as I was growing up, the influences that I was subjected to, um, I was never really offered a real um or, or a, a high quality role model that, that sort of embodied any of the the moral um and and personal characteristics that that one would say is 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 a good role model if that makes any sense you know I, i'm i'm young so so i was i was exposed to all of this stuff growing up from such a young age and especially since the media and then television and mobile phones and the internet has sort of boomed over the past 20 years or so um you know for, for children who were who were who were influenced by this uh, when they're so young um it's it's really no wonder that the 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 sort of flavor of of people that are being produced now that are growing up they they really have very little to um i guess to base to base their their personality on other than these things and but it's it's mm. tragic uh, i find it, it you know it's it's so upsetting to see that essentially there is generations being spawned out now who are essentially just consumerist um machines <laughs> and you know mm. it's 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 a tragic thing um yeah hmm mm. Well, that makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's even worse too, but because we, so far, the one like public figure that we identified as a as a role model is Vladimir Putin, and un- unfortunately, for the vast majority of like English speakers, that's not even an, an option for them because they can't see why he would be a role model because there's so much. Um, false things that are said about him so in the you really have to dig through a whole lot of bs in order to actually see um you know what kind of person putin actually is for just the average person you know average american or or canadian or you know brit they're you know putin's an evil person and 
you know, they're, in that sense, they're totally justified for thinking that because that's how he's portrayed in any kind of media, mm-hmm. any kind of interaction they have with, you know, the image of, of Vladimir Putin. He's not someone to emulate. So, so they're really in, there aren't, I can't think of, of too many public, um, you know, well-known personalities. I can't think of any in the, hmm. you know, in, in, in the English speaking world that are actually a live option for people. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and that's, that's a, that's a terrible thing. The only thing they have are like the, the fleeting moments in, you know, movies or TV shows where there's actually something, you know, something there that's, that's meaningful. And even then mm-hmm. those moments are kind of interspersed um, and kind of drowned out by all of the, the other stuff, which, uh, um, and you know, there's a there's a whole lot of you know movies and TVs that don't really model any kind of uh, you know good behavior. Yeah. And then even with people like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or John F. Kennedy or John Lennon, of course they were all murdered. <laughs> that's one thing. And then people go back and examine their lives, and they find out that they weren't perfect, and they weren't saints. They have flaws just like everyone else, and then they're even further maligned on top of being murdered. And there's really not much to grasp onto these days if you're really looking for a role model. Well, um, that makes me wonder. I mean, we're, we're kind of focusing on the more kind of celebrity aspect of it. But what about like role models kind of in people's day-to-day lives, like, um, you know, somebody who has a teacher who inspires them or um, a parent or, you know, a friend or something like that. I mean, things have clearly gone downhill as far as like the media is concerned, but I wonder about, um, you know, are, are people experienced, is there a glut of role models like worldwide altogether or is it, is it, is it more just something that's reflected in the, in the media scape and, you know, on a, day-to-day interaction basis, you still can find people to model. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say, um, you know, com- completely and objectively what the case would be, but I, I'd say probably you're right that there, there probably, well, there are always kind of individual role models in certain, in a certain person's life. Um, I think just st- statistically, um, you know, you've, you're always going to have a certain, even if it's a low percentage of people that, just by their very nature, will will be able to model certain good behaviors, and that's just a, you know that's just a, I think a, a a constant in in human history, and and so I think that's the that's probably the most positive, um, you know, thing there is. But I'd I'd say you know this is just a guess, but I guess that that's um, you know as the years go on, that becomes rarer, and the influence <laughs> of the media becomes greater. To the mm-hmm. point where um, probably a lot of kids um, don't have very many role models, and the ones they do, um, probably you know, or maybe you know, there there's a small percentage of kids who who benefit from a small percentage of of role models, and um, you know, everyone else is probably just uh, you know, s out of luck. Yeah, just watching TV. Yeah. And that's sad, too, because your parents are naturally your first role models. But if your parents are products of the same society, which is so messed up, then even that's gone. Mm. Well, and it seems to be that time in, in 
teenagehood too, where there's that struggle going on to find who you truly are. And if there's nobody in your life to model that behavior, and you get the negative influences, that struggle becomes even harder. Well, and I think I think that a lot of that might just be in general part of the just the human condition that mm-hmm. the majority of people are mediocre, and that's <laughs> just what it comes mm-hmm. down to. I mean, um, so except for like in any given society, you're going to have the society's you know traditional you know rules and norms, and there are going to be um, you know any number of people in that society, let's say like of a conservative bent that will then, um, you know, try to hang on to those traditions and rules and um, try to keep them going in the future. And in a sense, those people can be good role models as as long as, you know, they themselves are, you know, decent people at the same time and not just, you know, totally uh, overbearing authoritarians. Um, but, but even then, um, well, I don't know. It's it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know if that question can actually even be answered. Um because it is kind of on a much more personal level. Um I can only kind of draw from my own life and you know, I can maybe count on one hand the number of people I've actually met in my life who I would consider to be an actual role model. But um yeah, so I don't know, and, and and I don't know if it was something that was more common in in previous times, you know, when this kind of media influence didn't have such a great influence. So, yeah, it's a very difficult question to answer. Where well, else can we go with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I guess what people can do is have an idea in their mind of the kind of characteristics they want to have. That involves a lot of self-reflection and working on yourself and knowing what qualities that you lack and then knowing what qualities that you want to have and then find someone who may be a little bit older than you, a little bit further up the ladder and look to that person for inspiration Mm. and make sure you have a, a group around you who supports you trying to become your best self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. And I think it helps to um, helps to read. Yes, it helps. And I think one of the, the one of the things to to read would be um, like biographies, mm-hmm. because um if you just read the news i mean you'll get hints of it every now and again every now and again but um for the most part news is kind of atomized and uh pr- kind of superficial you know it's just giving the you know very bare bones of any kind of situation or personal interaction or you know momentous decision in a person's life but if you can if you actually read a doc, uh, a biography or or just um i think this is where reading um you know good novels comes into play too is that you can it, there's there is that vicarious element of getting into um, you know identifying with with a character so that you then experience what they experience and that kind of takes you through the experience and you learn from it and uh, I mean that's I think that's what the original um, purpose and you know definition of catharsis was in theater 
to to take the audience through a, an emotional experience that they then that then that actually becomes a personal experience for them. It's like they've actually gone through it to some degree. Mm-hmm. And when you read the biography of you know of a, of a person that you um, that you consider a, a, a model or a, you know a good uh, a good role model, then you can kind of you know follow their life to a certain degree and you know get into their head to a certain extent to whatever mm-hmm. you know to whatever extent possible. And and then um, like I know for for me personally, I've got a you know a few a few role models that I've you know I've had for several years, and you know reading about them and their lives and their decisions, what comes out for me is is it's really that kind of hero archetype part where, you know, you see a person who is, um, um, let's say struggling or in, in a situation that is very, uh, it's not easy because mm-hmm. thing you, you never learn anything or gain anything from, from something that's just easy. You see a person that's, that's in a difficult situation and you see how they handle it. And, um, and then like in my life, the, the way I kind of, go about it is I, I there are certain situations that I come to in my in, you know in my in my everyday life where I say okay well this is going to be tough you know when I'm you know how am I going to do this and I kind of picture well you know how how would you know my heroes you know act in this situation what what did they do in similar situations and that kind of gives me a bit of strength to to actually go forward and do it is is that you know I can, I can use their example and be like you know instead of what would Jesus do I, I ask uh, what would uh, what would Doug Harmershold do <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then and but then you look at your life and you say, you know, wow, you know, I don't know if I could do this. You know, this this person just, you know, their, you know, their strength or you know their perseverance just kind of floors me. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. how this person actually did what they did. Mm-hmm. And then um, that in itself, um, you know, that can go one of two ways. You can either say. Oh, you know, I'm not a saint, and therefore I'm just going to give up and just, you know, be fine with my life. But that's kind of just what, uh, you know, people who tend to give up in anything will, you know, that's the, the the path that they choose. Or you can say, okay, well, wow, then, you know, what do I have to work on? What can I? What kind of situations can I put myself in that I will, um, you know, then kind of work out that muscle to to actually be able to do that? And you know, how would I feel about myself if I could do that? You know, I'd. I'd be like, okay, well, wow, you know, that was quite an accomplishment. Um, you know, that's something that I'd like to work towards. Um, so anyways, just, yeah, the the message of that was to read books. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why we're seeing the younger generation not having that, because reading is no longer looked at as this great thing to do and getting into books. It's all technology. It's it's all phones. sound bites and yeah. one-liners and tweets, and there's really no depth to anything. You don't get a chance to look at someone's life and realize where they come from and why they made the decisions that they did. It's just somebody taking mm-hmm. a picture of their lunch and putting it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom in memes. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the modern form of the, you know, the ancient Confucian one-liner. <laughs> so the message is, if you're experiencing suffering in your life, turn to memes. Yes. Because they'll point you in the right direction. Twitter, Twitter has the answers. <laughs> All will be revealed. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Do we have anything... Uh, 
to add to this topic? There is some interesting discussion going on in the uh, in the chat, actually. Um, yeah, what's what's going on there? <laughs> well, one person seems to think that um, what we're preaching here is to just kind of uh, imitate people um, to not, you know, it's basically saying that uh, if you're trying to find your true self, you're not going to do it by looking at, at for role models. Uh-huh. That you know, this I guess this person feels like it's much more it should be much more of an internal journey, and that you shouldn't look um, outside yourself to other people and base your behaviors on on that. Um, I personally don't agree with that. I think that uh, that you can draw inspiration from a number of different places, and certainly seeing good traits in people that you would like to embody, it doesn't mean that you're just imitating. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, it's, You're it's, drawing it's from a, other people in order to become your true self, whatever that may be. It doesn't mean that in the end exactly. you're going to become exactly like that other person. Yeah, like imitation, no, was, I mean, imitation was, was the thing that we were kind of, uh, maybe we're, we weren't explicit about it, but uh-huh. we were, like the, the, the gist of what we were saying was kind of anti-imitation because imitation is, a, well, um, I guess you could say there's two kinds of imitation, but uh, the bad one would be to just blindly follow someone and do what they say. And that's what we were saying that, uh, you know, that young people do. Um, they just imitate. Now, imitation is, is something, um, well, just unconscious imitation is completely different than looking and kind of um, judging isn't necessarily the right word, but I guess it could be. Yeah, judging another person's behaviors, looking at them and, and kind of rationally um, um, analyzing their behavior and saying, okay, wow, that was a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. That is something mm-hmm. that actually I would want to do. Um, and the way it feels in that moment is that's something that I would do whether or not I saw that person doing it. I may not mm-hmm. have been aware of it before I saw that, but that, that you know, resonates with, with who I see, um, you know, my ideal self to be. And mm-hmm. so it's, the, of course, you know, Blind imitation is is just that. Um, well, and even then, blind imitation of a good model is better than blind imitation of a bad model. So, for mm-hmm. those people who don't have that ability to actually, um, you know, self reflect and do any kind of work on themselves, it's the better option mm-hmm. to just blindly follow someone who actually is a good role model. But that's not what we're mm-hmm. talking about here. We're talking about actually, um, you know, discerning for yourself who you actually want to be and there, you know, like it or not, there are other people who have done it better than you have. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you, you might as well, um, you know, learn something from them. And of course, as free, you know, human beings, um, you know, who aren't living under the, um, you know, the, the threat of a, you know, of a, a you know, extrajudicial ex- assassination or execution mm-hmm. because we're not uh, imitating someone else. You know, we're free to then choose. Okay, well, yes, you know, I agree with that. That I, you know, we, I, and that person have something in common. That person may be a little bit better at doing it than me, but that's what I want to, you know, something that I want to aspire to be. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, a little kid might want to be Spider-Man, but an adult will say, oh, "Well, that's ridiculous." But there may be a couple things that Spider-Man does that are, you know, worthy of emulation. If I don't already do them myself. Or what mm-hmm. about the idea of just inspiration? I mean, just reading stories of people who inspire you, as you were saying, Mm -hmm. and you discuss. And also, I just read Viktor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. And Mm -hmm. you read the story of what he went through and in the most heinous conditions was inspired to 
to continue to make decisions each moment of every day that kept him alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you feel like your life is so terrible, you read a story like that and you realize mm-hmm. the inspiration there against all odds to survive. Yeah. yeah, if he can maintain his humanity while in a concentration camp, you know, what can I do? <laughs> yeah. Is I'm free to drive the roads and uh-huh. go about my business and purchase things as I choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's not like we live in a bubble. It's genetically, socially, psychologically impossible to live in this world and not draw ex- uh, influence, whether they're good or bad, from mm-hmm. the people and the circumstances around you. Yeah. So it's up to us to make the best of it if that's what we want to do. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. one one of the the kind of painful realizations that that one of the first painful realizations that people have to make, um, and especially you know someone that might uh, hear this conversation and just see it as a um, an endorsement of blind imitation of of you know someone you might like, is that practically and you know probably one hundred percent of your own behaviors are in blind imitation of someone else and you just mm-hmm. don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like Tiff was just saying, that's that's the way humans are made. I mean, yeah. baby, babies aren't um, aren't conscious when they learn their, you know, their first movements and, and actions. It all comes from this social engagement, which is a form of imitation. That's the, that's the way people learn. Um, if you learn a new skill, chances are, um, you know, almost 100% that you saw someone else doing it and you learned from them how to do it mm-hmm. um, on YouTube. Yeah, on on YouTube or in person, <laughs> and that's and that's what animals, you know, do too. Animals, you know, an animal will watch its mother and you know and learn how to do it. Some things are innate, but um, but most kind of of the behaviors that humans will engage in are, um, you know, part of it is that innate innate um, um, not necessarily ability, but potential to do this certain act, and then the um, the act of actually learning how to do it language is one of them i mean mm-hmm. we've got like a language potential that then you know there's that that window of of imprinting where if you aren't um if you aren't exposed to people speaking you'll never learn how to speak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that that's the imitation you have to imitate what your you know those sounds that your parents are making and you know eventually you come to be able to you know speak full words and full sentences and then you're free to actually you know create your own sentences but chances are the sentences that you think you're creating will just be, um, you know, a, a lie. It'll be something you think you believe, but it's something that you heard, you know, on TV. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think the first, you know, that that's the hard realization that you are uh, an ape, and I mean that like, as a, a that you are imitating and copying things that you have no idea that you're imitating or copying, and then yeah. once you get past that realization you can actually consciously imitate someone and then that will become actually you being an authentic person. Yeah. There's, mm. you shouldn't take anything away from yourself because you're you know, quote unquote imitating somebody. There's still work involved in becoming like that person, even though eventually you may become more like yourself. I mean, there's still a lot of struggle and a lot of learning to be done. So it's not like you're just blindly become being a robot and just doing X, Y, Z. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still internal struggle, whether you have somebody as an example or not. Yeah. Well, I think it just, it, you just, you bring self-awareness into it, right? I mean, the idea is not necessarily to just kind of superficially say, 
I like that guy. I want to be like him. I'm going to imitate him even subconsciously. I mean, I think it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, as we've said already, it's kind of like looking at what is lacking in yourself and then finding somebody who you can, who, who has what you don't have. And then you can model that. And, you know, it's, it might be imitation for a little while, but you know, you got to start with training wheels, right? Yeah. And so you just kind of, uh, you know, it, it might just be kind of imitation for a while, but eventually you will get to the point where you've kind of built up that muscle and you're able to actually do what you weren't previously able to. Mm-hmm. Or so I think. Yeah. And probably, probably like the, the ultimate direction that that leads in is that, um, well, it's what Dabrowski called having a personality ideal. And that's something that's completely individual towards you or in, in relation to you, where you have an image of yourself as you would want to be um, that's kind of almost almost totally independent of other people. But, but even then, that image of yourself is uh, constructed out of the materials that you've seen either in yourself, um, like in embryo, or that you see in other people. So you can say, okay, here's my ideal of myself. And that has something in, in common with this role model that I had. But that, that role model has all kinds of other things that I don't want as part of my ideal. And so mm-hmm. it becomes this kind of composite image that's created out of, out of what you see to be the best out of all these different examples, whether real or, uh, or imaginary or fictional. And that, that creates this, this ideal for yourself that they, then you move towards. And that's the most authentic and individual uh, thing that a person can do for themselves and their own and their own development, but it's not completely divorced from the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you you're still in you're still part of this world. You still interact with people, and and that's that's where we get the material <clears throat> for 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 building that. I mean, there are probably a very tiny percentage of the population that just have this this totally open like. Um, tube of intuition towards that ideal where nothing else it, it just comes to them like in a divine revelation um mm. but unfortunately you know um not i don't think very many people have that uh, ability if it if it even exists so uh i think we just have to to be a bit more down to earth and realistic about it mm-hmm. anything yeah. else in the chat that we can uh respond to? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the chat's pretty busy today, actually, but um, no, nothing's jumping out at me. Yeah. Hmm. Well, no one wants, to, uh, no one wants to call in? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to yeah. share who their role model is. Or tell us why they yeah. think they're a good role model? We only had two answers to that question. Well, as far as I could see, only two answers to that question. The first was Superman. And the other one was Jordan Peterson. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> aren't, they the same, aren't they the same person? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Forget Clark Kent. He's Jordan Peterson. <laughs> okay, well, um, should we go to the pet health segment? And then if uh, we've got anything more on this subject, we can come back to it. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Visit to a veterinarian is stressful for most pets. 
It's not only because of all these strange smells and sounds. It's also because they're being handled by a strange person and in the ways that are unusual to them. Therefore, it isn't surprising that in such situations, your furry companions can respond in a manner that you are unaccustomed to, leading to various situations that are perhaps funny for you, but rather tragic for a veterinarian. Does your dog bad? No. I thought you said your dog did not bite. That is not my talk. But there are ways to make the trip to the vet less stressful and more productive. Admittedly, it's much harder to achieve it with cats, but perhaps still possible with some. So here is a recording with useful tips, in this case mostly for dogs. Enjoy. Hi there. I'm Dr. Dillon, Associate Veterinarian at SportsVet Animal Medical Center, and I have Trooper here with me today, who's going to help me give all of you some tips on how you can make your dog's next visit to the veterinarian a little less stressful. The first piece of advice I'd like to give you in order to make your dog's trip to the veterinarian a little less stressful is to get them used to having hands put on them in ways that might be encountered when they come into the veterinarian's office. So for instance, with Trooper, I like to try and get him used to having his mouth messed with or his teeth played with. That's also really good if you're going to try and brush your dog's teeth. You can get them used to having their ears messed with. This allows us as a veterinarian to use an otoscope and be able to look into the ear canal and make sure the dog's not suffering from any sort of infection. The last thing I'd like to tell you to play with is going to be the feet. Their feet and their toes are something that some dogs don't always like played with. So if those are things that you can do at home, that can help them be a little bit more comfortable when they come in and we start doing that in the office. Another thing that you can try at home before you even reach the veterinarian's office is to teach your dog some basic commands. Sit, stay, and lay are all positions that are going to be conducive to the veterinarian being able to perform a good exam. Helping your dog become accustomed to riding in the car is going to allow them to be less stressed out once they reach the veterinarian's office. If you don't use a crate or some other securing mechanism in your car, you may need a second person to help you out as you travel to the veterinarian's office. Keeping things from the home that the dog really enjoys, such as treats and toys, can help make that ride more enjoyable. And don't forget, when you leave the veterinarian's office, sometimes it's really nice to be able to take your dog somewhere fun, like the dog park or maybe to PetSmart, so that they don't associate every car trip with a trip to the veterinarian. If you would like to help your pet become accustomed to the veterinarian's office, you can always schedule a just-for-fun visit. At SportsVet, we do ask that you call ahead, and perhaps you can bring your pet in and let us give him lots of treats and lots of love so he associates the veterinary clinic with a positive experience. Once you reach the veterinary clinic, remember to act normal but encouraging. If we're a bit nervous, our pets tend to pick up on that, and that can make them nervous as well. If you're going to bring treats in to your veterinarian's office when you come for the exam, Make sure that they're high point treats or something that your dog doesn't traditionally get at home. This is going to make him or her more receptive to those treats during the examination. 
Withholding food the morning of the visit can also make them a little bit more eager and have a little bit better appetite for any treats that you're going to use during the exam. As a last resort, if your pet is incredibly nervous, unlike Trooper, when he comes to the veterinarian's office, make sure to talk with your veterinarian ahead of time. Perhaps there's something that we can use as an anti-anxiety medication or even a mild sedative that will make your pet a bit more comfortable when they come into the office. Hopefully these tips will improve your next visit to the veterinarian's office and make every dog as happy as Trooper is when he comes to the vet. All right. Thanks for that, Zoya. Oh, I forgot to say something about the goats. Those are some goats that like going to the vet. <laughs> <laughs> Those goats sound like they have plenty of good role models. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a shepherd? <laughs> <laughs> a goat shepherd? <laughs> Well, do we have anything else to add to that topic? There was one more comment in the chat that I thought I would would bring up actually, where someone says that they didn't they didn't learn anything by imitation; they always have to figure it out for themselves. I BS on think that they, one. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe you have to. Possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, to to give an example, like uh, if you look at a group of children who are learning to play a new game together, or who just come up with a game that they're going to play with each other, um. Well, probably a better example is, you know, an existing game that, let's say, half of the, the kids don't know how to play. Now, of course, when they learn it, it's just two ways of looking at it. Of course, the kids who are learning how to play that game are going to learn on their own how to play it. But how do they learn on their own how to play it? It's from looking at the other kids who know how to play it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there there will be examples. Okay, I, I want to figure out how to, um, you know, wire an electric system in a house. And maybe I'm not going to look at any books or anything. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. Well, you know, after, okay, after being electrocuted a few times, you know, I might, I might get it. But, uh, but there, there's an element of, you know, of um, there's always an element of learning from what other people have done and who have come before you. And that's basically what science mm-hmm. is built on. I mean, science, I mean, no, well, you could say that a scientist has come up with, you know, a new theory on their own. But what are they doing? They're theorizing. They're doing something that they've learned to do. They're they're doing something that thousands of people, millions of people have done before them. And that is, I mean, it's a, it's a procedure. And there's, uh, you know, you learn the procedure by, you know, interacting with other people who know the procedure. And so I think there's always an element of imitation that, that you're not aware of that's not even conscious. I mean, because when, when kids are learning a new skill, they're not conscious that, that, you know, oh, what I'm doing right now is imitating the behaviors of the person that's modeling this behavior for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's That's that's ridiculous. They just they just do it naturally. And even mm-hmm. if it's difficult for them, they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kids can be role models, too, because they just don't care. They're just going to do what they're going to do, and they're not identified with looking silly or not being perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that's why and they're think, so open to learn so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, anybody who hasn't encountered this idea before should read the book Strangers to Ourselves. Um, just to get an idea of, or Thinking Fast and Slow would be another good one, um, just to get an idea of how much is going on below the surface that you are completely unaware of. And 
learning, I think, is one of those things that we are generally completely unaware of. We're constantly learning things. And if you think that you came up with something all on your own and you talk to other people or look it up, you find out other people did it too. Yep. So maybe you just didn't know about it or maybe there's this universal mind out there that you're accessing. Like they say, there's nothing new under the sun. So maybe there's some periods of divine inspiration where you think that you came up with it all on your own, but actually there's some cosmic explanation for it. Yeah, and I think well, that's probably very rare. I think that probably the, like the greatest creators and artists um, actually have have that kind of humility about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they'll acknowledge that okay, yeah, I had well, I had this great idea, but when they talk about it, they'll they'll say, you know, well, it wasn't really me. You know, it just mm-hmm. came to me, and mm-hmm. uh, to kind of take credit for that and say, oh, well, that was me. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what kind of person do you have to be to you know need that kind of um, you know, pat on oneself's back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it kind of says something about you that that you'd uh, that you'd need to take credit for that um, um, when all you did, you know, all it did was come to you. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, when you actually when you do some work, I mean, you can take credit for work. Like, let's say, uh, you know, a musician has an idea, but then they, they, you know, they work for three months fleshing that idea out. Um, mm. You know, that's uh, e- even that. Um, you know, that's just a, a result of, of their talent and their, their conscientiousness, their, you know, their perseverance in doing something. But, um, you know, to be a, to be a jerk about it is, is not a good role model. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like when you see people arguing, oh, hey, that was my idea, blah, blah, blah. And they start arguing over it. It's like, it seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, I guess I can't claim the fact that I invented uh, downloading music. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago I was like what if there was a place that you could go to where you can get every song that you ever loved (laughs) (laughs) oh my god you invented it created the internet (laughs) amazing I always thought that was Al Gore in her mind you're you're my new role model (laughs) thank you (laughs) will you teach me how to download music (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. Well, on that note, I think, uh, I think that's our show for the day. Thanks to my co-hosts. Thanks to Harrison for participating with us today. Thanks to all the chatters. Chat was very active today. And, uh, be sure to tune in to the other Sot Talk radio network, um, that is on Sunday, noon Eastern time. Um, but you can just go to the Sot radio network page and it will tell you there when you're, when it starts in your local time. So have a good weekend, everybody, and find yourself a good role model. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Take care.